Hey, well, good morning. There was a little more into that video, but you get to see it again at the end. Well, hey, it's great to be back with you guys. I'm so glad to be out of the snow and the cold and the rain and the freezing temperatures. And uh, hey, if you're a guest here, don't want you to be afraid, okay? <laughs> what are you guys doing putting children in cages here at your church? Give me a minute, I'll explain. Okay, probably there's no explanation great enough for that. But uh, we're, in the, we're in the middle of a series called uh, Wild Goose Chase, and uh, really want to thank you again for your prayers and for your support. And I'm really glad that our preteens here are in big church today. Give them a hand, let them know we're glad you guys are here. They had a, they had a pretty significant event, and I heard that our preteens have talent. Uh, from last night. So congratulate you guys on what a wonderful night that you guys had last night. And uh, this whole series that we've been doing, we're wrapping up today. Uh, Chris Boyer misspoke last week. He said we're done, but I said, no, 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 we got one more, and it's crucial what we're going to talk about today. And we've been doing a seven-part series uh, called Wild Goose Chase. And the whole theme behind this is that we're chasing after the Holy Spirit. The uh, the Celtic Christians would call the Holy Spirit the wild goose because there was so much mystery behind how he would work, where he would show up, and what he would do. And so they would call the Holy Spirit the wild goose. And so this year, we're on a quest to follow and find and be filled with the wild goose. And so today is week seven of uh, all of our, our series, and it's the end. And uh, I just want to say up front, if you're a guest here today, uh, most of the content that we're going to talk about today is for our members. So you get to look behind the curtain and see what our church is all about. Uh, you get to listen in on a conversation. You know how we love to do that by, behind the other side of the door, and we love to hear the conversation that goes on. But I believe this can help you also. And what we're going to talk about today, we've been talking about different cages uh, each cage, we talked about responsibility, routine, assumptions. Uh, we talked about failure. We talked about fear last week. And today we're going to wrap it up with, I believe, one of the most important, most practical cage that we deal with on a daily basis. And that is the cage of our human nature. And so that's why these boys are in the cage of human nature. Okay? And I want to thank... Uh, Caleb and, 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 and Jonathan for, for being here, for Joshua, for, for them being here to, to serve. Carson <laughs> can't, can't destroy it any more than that, right? Sorry, guys. They're not listening. They're blocked out. But what we're talking about today is this cage of nature. We're talking about our human nature. And the Bible talks about it in these terms. It's called the sinful nature. And you think about our nature as human beings. Think about our nature and where it starts, right? Uh, you know, downstairs we've got one, pl one playroom for our children, the smaller children, and there are toys all around that classroom. You know, the, the cubby holes, you know, they're full of toys. There's toys everywhere. But you get two boys in the middle, and there's one red truck. All those toys, but one red truck. And what happens? You know what happens. You've seen the story in your own house. 
or, or a girl, there's one particular special baby doll. Only one. But all those other toys. And so a fight breaks out. I want it. I got to have it. And then the teacher tries to come in and say these words. Why can't you share? Does that work? No, it doesn't work, right? And, and I got to tell you a little bit about my upbringing. Uh, I had uh, two brothers. We were three boys growing up together. And let me just say, the human nature was in full form in our house. We fought. We argued. We, we, we wrestled. We broke stuff. And my mom would always ask this question. We were always fighting, antagonizing, aggravating, pulling hair, punching, kicking, all this stuff. She would always ask this question. Why can't you get along with each other? Perfect example. But see, this is a question we got to ask. And you, this, this, this question works at every level. You've got re- friends that can't get along. You've got relationships that can't get along, dating couples that can't get along, married couples that can't get along, families that can't get along, communities that can't get along, countries that can't get along. Right now in 2015, and you say, why can't we get over this? Why can't people get past this? Why do they have to fight and struggle and and argue? And, And James describes it this way. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel, you fight, you don't have because you don't ask God. And the question is, where's God in this? And I don't know if you're, you know, aware of your nature the struggle that's going on in your home, in your life, and maybe your workplace, wherever it is. What causes this? This struggle that we all have, it comes from our human nature. And so we're going to talk about the cage of human nature. And you, you can decide to be a slave to this, to live according to this, and never be set free, never have quality relationships, never have peace, never have unity, never have, have harmony. But I want to invite you today that that is possible, to come out of this cage of human nature and even teach our children and even teach other people around us how can we get along and overcome this nature. And today we're going to look at a story, and basically the summary is this is what happens with our human nature. Our desires are greater than everybody else. I want what I want, and I want it now. And I don't care about what you want. I don't care about what's, what's your agenda. I want what I want, and I want it now. And so what do we do in our relationships? We struggle. We fight. Children with parents, parents with children. And this is a dilemma. And, and even our desires supersede God in this picture. It's greater than God. What we want is more than what God wants or what we want for God. And so I want to address this this issue today in in this cage of our human nature, our desires that are out of control. 
So we can talk about this so you can, can decide if you choose to get out of this cage. And each week we've been looking at a different character in the Bible. Today we're going to look at two. And it's only fitting because they're two brothers, Jacob and Esau. I want to encourage you, this is one of the best stories in the Bible. It's so awesome. Read your Bible because this thing is amazing. I don't know why they put such a story in the Bible because it's dark. And it all starts when Isaac, the father of these two boys, and the mother, Rebecca, she's pregnant, or she's trying to get pregnant. She can't. So Isaac prays to God, God, give me a child. We need a child. And God answers a prayer. And she gets twin boys. And so she's pregnant. And guess what's going on before these boys are born? They are fighting in the womb. I mean, I wonder what the ultrasound would have looked like on this one with one, one child's got his hand around the neck, another one's wailing away at the stomach in the womb, in the, in, still in the mother's stomach. And you go, what in the world? And, and she, Rebecca, was like, what in the world? And so she asked God, she says, why are my kids fighting in the womb? They're not even born yet. Imagine what it's going to be like when they're born. And God told her, he said, you have two nations inside of your womb, and those nations will be divided, and there's going to be a struggle, and there's going to be strife. And so the boys are born. Esau is born first, and he's red and hairy. That's how the Bible describes him. And as he's coming out of the womb, on his leg is attached Jacob's foot. To, to Esau's foot, Jacob's hand, he's grabbing Esau's I mean, imagine this, this birth scene. Jacob is grabbing Esau's heel, and he's grabbing it and holding on to it one last time. And this, so they named him Jacob, meaning holding on to someone's heel. Or as we're going to find out, there's another name for Jacob. There's another name, quality name. So this goes on their whole lives. And they grow up and become young men. Esau is a guy of the wilderness, he likes the outdoors. He's a hunter. He likes to go kill game. He prepares the food. But Jacob is more of a, a homely guy. He hangs around the tents. He's more quiet and reserved. Hangs around with mom a lot. And so one day, Esau comes in from the field, and he's famished. He's starving. And Jacob is sitting there stirring this huge pot of red stew, lentil stew. And so let's pick it up there in that part of the story. In Genesis 25, if we could reduce this just a little bit, verse 30, he said to Jacob, this is Esau talking, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Now, what a brother. Okay, we're talking quality family here. So Jacob says, first sell me for a bowl of stew, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? Now, this is huge. This is huge. But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore in an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob as the older son. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Now we got two brothers here. 
One brother, Esau. I mean, he traded his birthright. And now, I want you to understand, this birthright thing, this, this is a big deal, this birthright. And if we could bring this in, if that's possible. Birthright was a big deal because who were they sons of? Abraham and Isaac. What did God promise Abraham? You're going to be the father of many nations. It's huge what's coming to you. Why would you exchange your birthright with so much to be the father of nations for a bowl of stew? Isn't that crazy? What would lead you to do that? And he despised his birthright. Such an incredible honor and privilege. He despised it. And then you got Jacob. I mean, come on. What kind of family member are you that you're not going to give your brother? He's hungry, starving, and you got to sell him a bowl of stew for a birthright. I mean, you know what I appreciate about the Bible, and you should read it more? The Bible tells it as it is. It's not this model exemplary story of only good examples. In fact, the most of the stories in the Bible are not good examples. They're what not to be, what not to do. But it's honest and straightforward. And so the story gets even better after this. Right after this whole scenario with the stew, Isaac, the father, becomes very ill. He's lost his sight, and he thinks he's going to die. So he calls his older son, as was the tradition, he calls his older son and he says, I want you to go and hunt me some game and prepare it and then bring it to me, feed it to me, and then I'm going to give you my blessing and give you your birthright. And so even now, the story gets even more intense because Rebecca overhears, mom overhears the conversation. And you got to love mom here. She overhears the conversation and she says, there's no way that Esau is going to get the birthright, so I'm going to manipulate the situation. She calls Jacob over while Esau goes out and hunts the game. She gets together with a plan with Jacob and she cooks the food and she dresses Jacob up just like Esau because he was a hairy guy, kind of rugged, kind of a wild man. And Jacob was nothing like that. So she puts goat's hair on his hands, goat's hair on his arms, goat's hair on his neck, and takes some of Esau's clothes and puts it on Jacob, prepares the food. And Jacob's like, wait a minute, this isn't going to work. I'm nothing like my brother. And she says, listen, if anything happens to you, let it come on me. I'll take care of it. You go and do it. So he does it. So he brings the food in. He brings the food in to Isaac, and immediately he says, I am your son Esau, and it's Jacob the whole time. And so Isaac goes, are you sure you don't sound like Esau? You sound like Jacob. How did you get the game so quickly? And here's the, here's the amazing thing. You know what he says? He says, the Lord blessed me, and that's how I was able to get the game so quickly. Maybe really spiritual people, right? <laughs> Jacob's other name, just so you know, it's grabbing the heel, but it's also one who deceives. That was his name. A liar, cheat, manipulator. And so this goes on, and so Isaac's like, are you sure? And he says, come a little closer. Let me touch your hand. And so Jacob sticks his hand out, and he rubs his hand, and he feels the goat's hair. He says, yeah, it feels like Esau, but you sound like Jacob. Come a little closer. So he grabs his arm, and he, come a little closer. And he grabs the back of his neck, 
and smells his clothes just to be sure because he's not convinced. And he says, everything about him smells and feels like Esau. And he says, are you sure you're not Jacob? And he goes, absolutely, I am your son, Esau. So what does he do? He gives him the blessing. And he bestows on Jacob, the younger brother, the birthright, the, the, the older brother's share, and he blesses him, and he gives him the blessing, and then, and then Jacob leaves, and guess who comes in? Just as soon as Jacob leaves, guess who comes walking in? Esau. Esau, with the meal prepared, he's ready for the blessing. I'm the oldest son. My time has come. Here I am. So he puts the food, and he says, who are you? And Isaac asks him, who are you? He says, I'm Esau. And Isaac starts to shake with fear because he just gave the blessing to Jacob. And so this is the family dynamic that we've got. We've got a lot of this going on in this family, human nature. And so Esau, he's talking to his dad. He's saying to Isaac, Isaac, no, listen, reverse the decision, reverse the blessing, give it to me. I'm the older one. And what Isaac said is heartbreaking. He says, I can't reverse the decision. What's done is done. There's no way to go back on it. And Esau weeps hysterically because he lost his blessing. And as soon as he recovers from his sadness, it turns to anger. And he calls one of the other servants over and he says, when my father dies, I will kill Jacob and be done with it, and then I'll get the blessing. And Rebecca overhears the conversation once again. Amazing hearing this woman. <laughs> she overhears the conversation, so she pulls Jacob aside and says, you've got to leave. You've got to leave now. You go to my brother Laban over there in, in our home country, and you find a wife, and you stay there until Esau settles down. And so he leaves, and on his way... On this, on this journey, as you can imagine, here's Jacob just with his staff. He's all alone, and he goes, and he says this prayer. He has this encounter with God, and God shares with him a vision. There above stood the Lord and said, and he's talking to Jacob, I am the Lord your God of your fathers, Abraham and the God of Isaac, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Verse 14, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Now let me ask you a question. Why is God blessing a liar, a cheat, a deceiver? Why would he do this? What does this tell you about God? Does Jacob deserve this kind of blessing? Absolutely not. This is the last thing he deserves. But what's that tell you about God? And, and, then, and then think about it for you and me. Do we really deserve what we've been given? This promise, this blessing. Do we really deserve to be called the, 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 the blessed of God? See, and this is the character of God that you need to understand. He doesn't look at people who they are, but rather who they can become. 
And God sees Jacob for who he can become. And he speaks a prophetic vision of Jacob's future. And this is something I want you to understand about God, that sometimes even though we're not where we need to be, he still has vision for us. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until you have done what I have promised. Until I have done what I have promised. Man, what a promise. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. And I'm not going to abandon your life. And so Jacob goes with his, with his uncle, Laban, and marries two women, accumulates huge amounts of wealth, and then the time comes for him to go back home. And what does going home look like? His brother Esau is there waiting. And he's petrified at the fact that he's going to go back and face Esau. Because what were the last words that he heard that Esau said? I will kill Jacob. I'm going to do away with him. And so Jacob has so much wealth. He's so blessed. God has really blessed him those last 20 years. But he's like, hey, you know what? I could lose everything right now. And so as he's approaching his homeland to meet with Esau, to reconcile with Esau, he says this prayer. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you have said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and the faithfulness that you have shown your servant. I have only my staff when I cross this Jordan. Now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid, and he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. He's afraid he's going to lose it all and that Esau is going to wipe him out. And the fear was real because Esau was, he was a, he was a mean individual and he was filled with anger and resentment. But he prays this prayer to God and it doesn't, it doesn't finish here. And he, he reminds God of his promise, but you have said, I will surely make you a prosper and will make your descendants like the sands of the sea, which cannot be counted. So he's reminding God of the promise. Is Jacob where he needs to be? Not yet. But he knows one thing. God has a promise for me. And this is one thing I want you to grab today. God has a promise in store for you. No matter what's going on right now in your life, Understand one thing. There is a promise that God has for you and set aside for you. And so it doesn't stop. Jacob continues. He sends out these two camps, his children on one hand, his flocks on the other hand, and then he stays behind by himself one evening, the night before he's going to meet Esau. And let's listen to this. So Jacob was left alone. And this is a really, really mysterious part of the Bible because it says a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, most scholars would agree that this man who wrestled with Jacob that night was an angel of God. Some say that it was actually God himself. I tend to believe that it was an angel of God. And so Jacob is left alone and, he, and, and a man wrestles with him till daybreak. 
When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched and he wrestled with the man. Verse 30, 26. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? And this is significant. Jacob, he replied. The man asked him, what's your name? Liar, deceiver, manipulator. That's my name. That's why the angel asked what his name was. Because it's significant. I mean, let me ask you, what's your name? What's your reputation? What do you bring to the conversation? What do you bring to your family as a reputation that you've had? Not the good one. The not so good one. That was what was significant. And the angel asked him, what, what's your name? You don't want to know. And this is what's so cool, because Jacob wanted a blessing. He said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me, until you, until you get me out of this situation. And Jacob was not after just safety. He was after change. And this is what he got. Then the man said to him, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and struggled with humans and have overcome. What did Jacob get that night? A name change. Not only did his name change, his character changed. And not only did his, his, his nature change, Jacob changed and became a different person. So I think we should let these boys out of the cage, don't you think so? Let's get them out of their nature. All right, guys, you can come on out. Thank you. Okay? Thank you, Joshua. Thank you, Carson. See, I remembered. <laughs> now, I want to talk about this, this point in, in the history of the scriptures because this is, this is significant. How desperate are you for change in your life? How desperate are you to wrestle with your character, wrestle with your nature, and say, I will not stop fighting God. I will not stop. I will not give up until I change who I am. That's what I love about Jacob. He spent the whole night. It was a wrestling match. And, and you know, you can ask one of our, our guys here, wrestlers, it is one of the most intense sports you can participate in it because every muscle in your body is wrapped up and tight in that struggle. And that, that's so impressive that he, he went through that. But let me ask you a question. How desperate are you for a name change, for a life change, for a spiritual transformation to go from liar and cheat and manipulator to be he who struggles with God and overcomes. How'd you like to change your name to overcomer? Think about that. In your marriage, in your family, in your character, things that you struggle with your whole life. How would you like to be set free from those things and be an overcomer because you struggle with God and God blessed you and God helped you? and took you to the next level. Think about that. And that's what I admire so much about Jacob because he, he, he struggled to struggle and it was so awesome because after this happens, Jacob, he makes peace with his brother. His brother didn't kill him. In fact, they hug each other 
and they went their separate ways. The most awesome story in the whole scripture of this story is when Isaac finally died, because it happened like 25 years later, the two brothers are there at his bedside mourning their father's death together with no more murderous thoughts. And I believe because, in a great, in a great degree, because of Jacob changed. So I'm going to ask you, how does this apply to your life? What does this mean? I'm not Jacob. I'm not Esau. And we're going to talk about Esau because it's significant what happened with him. I want you to understand that you, you, no matter where you, where you think you are, you think, well, I'm just a Christian. I'm just Joe Christian. I'm just Joe Schmo. I'm just Seuss, Sue, you know, normal person. I'm nobody special. That's not how God sees you. That's not God's vision for you. And it's non-discriminatory. It doesn't mean age, you know, uh, sex, background, race, doesn't matter. God is non-discriminatory. He shows no favoritism. He wants to bless everybody who will accept the blessing. Look at what Romans says. Paul kind of brings this back. And we're going to talk about the nature. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on that what the flesh desires, but those who live according with what the with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. What's the key thing here? Mindset. Let me ask you a question today. What, what's your mindset on? What's your focus? What you want? Or are you smarter and you realize, man, it's not about what I want, it's about what God wants. And I trust that what God wants for me is much better than anything I could desire for myself. See, when Jacob figured that out, when all the followers of God figured that out, I mean, it was amazing, the unleashing of blessings that happened in their lives. And so let me ask you, what's your mindset on starting tomorrow morning? What are you set on? What are you thinking about? What's your goal? What's your desire? What's your ambition? What are you after? And therein lies the struggle. If it's all about you and your desires, guess what does to those relationships that you have? And you know. I know. Whenever I have my mind set on what I want, there's going to be struggles. There's going to be tension. But here's something that Paul's talking about. He says, you have the opportunity to receive the Holy Spirit, which can help you overcome and change your mindset so that you won't be thinking about you and what you want all the time. It can help you change your name, your character, and who you are, your identity. We jump down to verse 12. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. Now, I want to talk to our brothers and sisters. I want to talk to members of our church because this applies to you. You've been given the Holy Spirit of God at your baptism. You have a responsibility. The Bible says you have an obligation to think differently than everybody else. It's not to the flesh. It's not to this. You have an obligation to think about what? Not to the flesh, but to live in according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live, according, if you live by the Spirit, you will put to death the misdeeds of the body. You will live. How does this apply to Jacob? 
you'll stop being a liar. You'll stop being a cheat. You'll stop being an adulterer. You'll stop being a manipulator, a pervert, a drug addict, an abuser of substances, an overeater, an overdoer, an overindulger. You'll stop that. That's what he's saying. And this is something for all of us to weigh in on, chew on. And if you're a guest here today, God wants to invite you into a relationship where you can have his Holy Spirit in you. But it begins with that relationship. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in, in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive received brought you into adoption to sonship. What's he talking about here? Remember Jacob and Esau? What was so special about them? They were sons of Isaac. And they were grandsons of Abraham. What he's saying right here is, you and I are of equal descendancy as Abraham, as Isaac, as Jacob. We fall in that line. We're heirs. We're somebody special. God's chosen us. He's saying, I want to make you a son to me. And by him we cry, and this is really intense, Abba, Father. Paul's telling us this. This is the first originated with Jesus when Jesus prayed like this. And this Abba, Father means dad. Imagine that intimacy to call God your dad. That's the kind of relationship that God is offering us. A closeness. You know, or, or in a child's form, daddy. That's what that word refers to. It's an intimate, affectionate phrase, closeness, describing an intimate relationship with your father. That's what God is offering us. This kind of relationship. But here's the dilemma. Too many of us don't have time for that relationship. We're too busy. Busy with what, I ask you? Are you busy with a bowl of stew that's sitting in front of you because you're so hungry you have to have what you have now? Really? When you're going to miss this? See that no one, look at, look at how Esau, let's go back, jump back to Esau, because Esau was despised in Scripture because of what he did, because it's significant. Hebrews 12, verse 16, see that no one is sexually immoral. In other words, see that somebody doesn't compromise their sexuality and exchange a relationship sexually for their soul or for a relationship with God. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. What he did here was, was it was so significant. But I got to talk about this today because I feel like some of us are making the same exact mistake right now. We want a pleasure, we want a satisfaction right now. And we're willing to exchange our birthright, our inheritance. Well, see, my inheritance doesn't do me any good right now. I need money right now. I need this relationship right now. I need a man. I need a boyfriend. I need a girlfriend right now. 
So you're willing to exchange all of that? Afterwards, and this is the intense part, afterwards, as you know, when he wanted an inheritance, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. See, if you don't get into salvation with God, it's not God's fault. Understand that really clearly because people want to shake their fist at God and say, God, you're good and you're loving. How could you reject me? No, you, didn't, you don't understand. God doesn't do the rejecting. You do the rejecting. We do the rejecting. And this is so serious. Even as Christians, we can fall into this trap for wanting a little gratification now instead of enduring for what's coming. And Jacob had to go those hard 20 years of work and manipulation. It was rough. But he went through it because he saw what was coming in the future. You know, and I got to talk about this. We're, we're living in a time right now in our country, in our world. These would be considered the end times. How do you know they're the end times? I mean, look at around what's happening. I don't know if you pay attention to what's happening in the news. People who call themselves Christians are being slit. They're being killed. It's horrific. Scores of them. And our own brothers and sisters, those were the ones that were in the news that you knew about. There's other people you don't even know about. I know about. Because I know, I hear, I get reports. These are our brothers, sister churches in the Middle East who are being brutalized, kidnapped, and killed because they associate with Jesus. Now let me ask you a question. We got those people over there that are dying for their faith in Jesus. And they're given the option. Everybody over there is given the option. Deny Jesus and pledge your alliance with the other God, Allah in this case, and they won't do it, even if it means their life is going to be gone. And, and then I go, they're willing to go through that. And some of us have a really hard time getting up in the morning to be here. Some of us have a hard time denying ourselves to help somebody who is in need. And the list is long. You know what it is. These are the end times. This isn't a time to be playing with Christianity. This isn't a time to be loafing in your faith, loafing in your convictions, wavering back and forth. Well, I don't know. You know, I'm going I'm to go bounce around to this church and that church, and I'm going to find, you know, kind of like shopping. You know, I'm going to shop for the best church. You know what? There's churches out there that they, it's, it's so sad. They got five people gathered together, and that's church. And you don't appreciate what you have, the fellowship, your small group, the incredible group that you have surrounding you. But you don't show up, you don't value it, because you got other things to do, like eat stew. Really? Come on, brothers and sisters. Now is the time to upgrade, upload, get our faith to another level, to live the life that we should always live, to be willing to die for our faith, even though we may not have to here in the U.S., but we can die a little bit, can't we? Seeing these signs lately? We're in a serious drought, right? Today we may get some rain. Amen. Thank you, God, for the rain. 
But you know what I want to encourage you to pray for? Spiritual rain. Because I don't know if you know it or not. We're experiencing a drought. Some of you are experiencing a spiritual drought. Let me show you what I'm talking about. See, instead of looking green, and, and here's what's deceptive. You look at the hills up here in California, they look green, don't they? They look green, but if you go to the lake beds and you go to some of these places, they're not green. It's very deceptive. In fact, here's a map of the drought in California, the monitor. May 14, 2013, this is where we were. 2014, January 14th, this is where we were. And May 13th, 2014, look at this right here. Severe, exceptional. I don't know, they're going to have to come up with another word here soon. Exceptional drought. Man, oh my gosh. I believe, what if it were like this? Spiritual drought in the Lighthouse Church of Christ. In May 2013, this is where we were. In, in January of 2014, this is where we were. And this past May, and maybe right now, February of 2015, what is going on in our spiritual enrichment, our convictions, our walk with God, our faith? Jesus said this to the woman at the well. He says, I have water that will never run out. And I'm willing to give it to you for free. But it's about a relationship. Do you have time to water the Holy Spirit, water your relationship with God, water your conviction, your faith, so that you can be green and thrive? And, you know, I got to share this, guys, because it's so significant. It, you know, last week we went to my, my, my father-in-law's funeral. It was sad. It was sad, because I know these people. I know these people, and we, we spent Christmas together for many, many years, and I remember them arguing with me about whether the Bible is the Word of God and whether prayer even works. I remember these arguments. I remember one of my, my, my relatives, she said to me, she says, do you really believe all the stuff in this thing? Do you really believe all of this? And my answer to her is, Absolutely. It has changed my life. But the amazing thing is in this funeral, everybody changes in the funeral. Everybody becomes biblical. Everybody becomes prayerful. Everybody becomes, you know, spiritual. I'm like, wait a minute. Where's the person that was, oh, I guess everything changed because we got a casket sitting here in the front. That's not the time. See, you deal with the spiritual drought now, drought while you have a chance because Esau had his chance and he threw it away. He despised it. He undermined it. He said, you know what? I despise this. This is nothing. I don't care about my birthright. Really? Let me tell you, it is the most precious gift you and I have is our salvation. The relationship we have with God, the relationship that we have with each other, the, the opportunity you and I have to participate in the kingdom of God. Let's end this. Let's end this. I'm not talking about the California drought. I don't have power over that. God has power. But you have power over the spiritual drought that's happening in your small group. And when you can say, well, I'm doing good. I'm green. I got plenty of water. I'm walking. I'm doing well with God. I'm here all the time. I'm, 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 I'm plugged in. What about the people around you? Are you going to fold your arms 
while others need a glass of water and you don't have time to hand them a glass of water and help them, pray with them, talk to them to bring them out of their drought. Now let's wrap it up. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Who's he talking about? You and me, followers of Jesus. I want to tell you today, you are an heir to the throne. You're an heir to the throne. You've seen the movies, right? What happens to the heir to the throne? How, what does he have to do? I mean, he's got to live a certain amount of life because he's going to the throne. He's going to be the king or he's going to, she's going to be the queen. You can't be messing around. You know, just being like anybody else. You've got you to you walk right. You've got to act right. You've got to live right because you're going to be the king. You're going to be the queen. That's what he's saying here. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Guys, understand this. I want to share and we want to share in God's glory. But guess what has to come with it? A little bit of suffering. He didn't leave that out on purpose. I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. Life is hard. Life is challenging. Stuff's going to happen in our lives. There's going to be heartbreak. People are going to walk away from the faith, but that doesn't mean you walk away with faith. That doesn't mean you have to go into the spiral downward spiritually because of what somebody else has decided to do. You hold fast so that they have a link to come back. That needs to be your responsibility because who, who are you? And I want you to say this with me. For the men, repeat after me. I'm a king. One more time. I'm a king. Do you believe that? Some of you think you're kings, but you're not. In this sense, you are. For the sisters, I want you to repeat after me. I'm a queen. Do you believe that? That's, that's, that's what Paul is trying to get through with you. You're not just a, an heir. You're a co-heir with Christ. Jesus is at the right hand of God, and you're a co-heir with him. I mean, it's just a blow away. But go back to Esau. You've got a birthright. What's more important to you right now? That bowl of stew? And you define your bowl of stew. Or your birthright. You know what Esau's response should have been? Like those people in the Middle East right now. I don't care what you do to me. You can cut off my head. You can burn me alive. I will not give up my birthright because it's eternal. It's everything. Right. And that's what we need to do here in the United States, even though we're not living under that threat, but it's the little things. And so I want to ask you, are, are you all in with your birthright? And if you're a guest, I'm inviting you to be a part of this so you can overcome your human nature and have successful relationships. We're going to pray now for the communion, and it did come at a price. And so let's pray with me. Father, we thank you now that we can remember Jesus, his body, his blood that were offered up for us. Please, Father, we ask you to please forgive us for our wandering, God, I ask you to forgive me for my, my not appreciating the birthright that I have.
God, I pray that you will help us all to be like Jacob, to struggle, to strive, to fight for the changes that we want to see in our lives. God, we want to change our character. We want to change the lazy spirit that's in us. God, whatever's holding us back, help us, Father. Give us energy. Give us strength. Through the body and the blood of Jesus, we ask for that transformation now. Bless this communion. Thank you that we can remember what Jesus did for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.